whatnot the podcast lent up early on Monday, Thursday. May God give you a blessed and peaceful day today as we rejoice in the institution of the body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. We talk about Monday, Thursday, and then answer a question about baptism and laying on of hands and the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Great question. Uh, here we go. Here's the podcast. Blessed Monday, Thursday. 1,989 years ago, Jesus and the disciples started out in Bethany. Judas, the day before, had going to get the 30 pieces of silver. Those were rattling in his pocket as they came over the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent some disciples ahead and they found the upper room prepared for the Passover meal. So Jesus goes there into the city of David, the upper room, maybe the house of Mark, and they celebrate the Passover. Jesus gets up from the table and he goes and he washes his disciples' feet. It's an amazing This was so, even a disciple who was almost like a servant was not supposed to wash feet. This was a really lowly work. And Peter, you know, Jesus comes to Peter and the disciples are sitting there trying to argue who's the greatest. And then Jesus washes their feet. Oh, Peter says, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus says, oh, well, look, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. Then Peter will wash all my whole body. Jesus shakes his head. I'm going to be Peter. Uh, I'm going to be the Lord who serves. I'm not going to be the servant who serves or the Lord who lords. I'm going to be the Lord who serves. So don't get the idea that I'm not the Lord, but don't get the idea that I don't serve. That's the, the two dangers that Jesus addresses there. And then when the Passover meal is finished, Jesus takes the bread and he takes the cup and he gives thanks and he breaks the bread and he blesses the cup and he he institutes the supper. It's all quite amazing how it's in the context of the disciples disputing about who's best and Jesus telling them that one of them is going to betray him. He takes the bread and he breaks it. He says, this is my body, which is given for you. And then the cup, and when he gave thanks, he gave it to them. Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Ugh. Every single word there is a gift. That was the last Passover meal authorized by the Lord. That night when they finished the meal, the meal itself was finished. The Passover institution was finished. And there's a New Testament put in place by Jesus, which is his body and his blood to eat and drink for the forgiveness of sins. Someone asked just recently, they said, hey, how can Jesus give his body when his body is right there? Well, that he gives his body then the same way he gives his body now. He miraculously joins the body to the bread and the blood to the wine so that we can say that the bread is the body and the wine is the blood. We rejoice in it. If we can't figure out how it is, then that only means that we can't figure out how it is. It doesn't mean that it can't be that way. Oh, praise the Lord that our inability to understand something does not destroy the thing that it can't understand. I mean, I can't even understand digestion, but praise the Lord, I can still digest food. And just because I can't understand the Lord's miraculous capacity to sit at the right hand of the Father and also make the bread into his body doesn't mean that it can't be that way. 
In fact, this has to do with how we read the Bible, too. We just let the Lord, we want to, I mean, we just want to let the Lord say how it is. And we can say, okay, okay. There's a controversy about over what it is, and I think that's probably why, because it's hard to imagine how it could be. But there's a lot of things that are hard to imagine how it could be. That doesn't mean they're not that way. We also consider what it gives, which is the forgiveness of sins. Jesus says, this is cup is the New Testament poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus gives us this so that it be, he gives us the cup and the blood because he knows that what we need most is forgiveness. And there it is. The forgiveness is in the blood. It's the price paid. It's that blood that overcomes sin and death and the devil. Like it says in Revelation 12, they overcame him by the word of the testimony and the blood of the lamb, and they didn't love their lives unto death. So Jesus institutes the supper, and he says, do this in remembrance of me. So what do we do? We eat his body and drink his blood in his remembrance, rejoicing in his sacrifice. Remember the sacraments are the delivery system that Jesus institutes so that he can get that forgiveness to us. Then after the supper, Judas leaves to go and grab the soldiers. Jesus with the other disciples goes and uh, goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. This has to do with John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. That whole section is happening on this night. Jesus is telling his disciples, a little while I'll be gone, a little while I'll be back. The world will rejoice, you will lament, but then a little while and you will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Jesus prays for the disciples. Probably that discourse of Jesus can be broken up into portions. Some happened in the upper room. Some happened on the way to the garden. Some happened in the garden himself. And then Jesus takes three of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, and goes a distance away. So this is down. They leave the walled city of Jerusalem. They go down the Mount Zion through the Kidron Valley, up the a little ways up the west side, west slope of the Mount of Olives to the garden. Jesus would often go there, the text tells us, with his disciples. He takes Peter, James, and John a, a stone's throw away, and he begins to pray. And the sun sets, so begins Friday. In fact, probably the sun set while they were having dinner. So that brings us already to Friday. And we'll cover the events of Friday tomorrow. What's the main thing on Monday, Thursday? Uh, probably this beautiful gift of the supper. Uh, Jesus uh, knows us so well that he knows that we need not only to be born again in baptism, but that we need to feast on the food that gives a good conscience. And that's what the Lord's Supper gives, a good conscience. I mean, here I am, I know all my sin and my failure and my guilt and my shame and all of it. But tonight, I'll go to the Lord's church and I'll kneel before his table and he'll put into my mouth his own body and his own blood with his promise that my sins are forgiven. And he means it. So that I can have a clean conscience, a clean heart, washed by his blood, which can wash out any stain and that gift he continues to give. 
there's a parallel. This is interesting because we could probably talk about the Lord's Supper for years, but there's a parallel uh, between the institution of the Passover meal and the institution of the Lord's Supper. Remember when the Lord was rescuing his people from Egypt and there was nine plagues and then here comes the 10th, the death of the firstborn. And the Lord says, for you, my people, I want you to take a lamb and I want you to eat it. And I want you to put the blood on the doorpost and the angel of death will pass over. And I want you to eat this meal in remembrance of what I haven't yet done every year on this day. (laughs) So the Lord instituted the celebration meal before he did the thing that the meal was supposed to celebrate. (laughs) Can you imagine? They're sitting there that first Passover and say, well, now, wait a minute. We're supposed to eat this meal remembering what the Lord hasn't even done yet? So it is with the Lord's Supper. He instituted the meal, the celebration of his death and resurrection before he died. (laughs) But still he gives us these gifts, the gifts that he won on the cross. I mean, as soon as the Lord decides to do it, it's as good as done. And so... He gives us the gifts to celebrate his death and resurrection before he dies and and is raised. And we continue to celebrate. God be praised. Happy Monday, Thursday. Mike has a question about baptism and the Holy Spirit. He writes, Pastor Wolfmuller, firstly, I want to thank you for all the wonderful content you put out. Thanks for your YouTube videos. My wife and I are now members of our local LCMS congregation after coming out of a Pentecostal background. Mike, God be praised. Glad to do it. My question is as follows. My understanding is that baptism coincides with the imparting of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 8, Philip preaches to the people of Samaria who believe and are baptized. However, verse 15 states that these believers don't receive the Holy Spirit until Peter and John lay hands upon them. How does one reconcile this passage with the theological position that baptism granting the Holy Spirit, gra- baptism grants the Holy Spirit? Is this just a unique circumstance? Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mike. Great question. Uh, the answer is it could be a unique circumstance, but I don't think so because there's we want to distinguish the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So the first is the general gift of the Holy Spirit that comes at baptism for all Christians. This is the Holy Spirit who comes with not only contrition, but also faith. He convicts the world, as Jesus said, of sin and, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, of, oh, how come I, I will send the Holy Spirit and he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. That's what it is. Of sin because they don't believe in me, of righteousness because I go to the Father, and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. This is the general gift of the Holy Spirit that belongs to all Christians who then confess that Jesus is Lord. Because remember, no one can confess Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That's Paul in 1 Corinthians. The Holy Spirit comes to all Christians to give them the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So uh, every Christian has the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit also comes upon us uniquely for our vocations, and especially for those vocations of the Word. And that's what we see in Acts chapter 8. When the apostles come down, they come down and ordain some of these guys so that they receive the Holy Spirit specifically for the work of preaching. That's why that's often accompanied with kind of verbal signs, speaking in tongues or prophecy, because uh, because that's for the preaching office that's there. And so there is a, a second gift of the Spirit. The, the Pentecostal church will, would 
sort of see this as that kind of second anointing. But the problem with that second anointing in the Pentecostal church is it's often disconnected from vocation. The Holy Spirit comes upon me and I sort of lose myself. Self-control is thrown out the window. Uh, I, I start to speak in tongues that I don't understand and no one's there to translate or I start to flail around or whatever, whatever. It's a sort of anti-vocational, anti-order gift of the Holy Spirit. For us, we understand that uh, in, in really the exact opposite way is that the Holy Spirit comes upon us according to the vocations given to us. So when we confirm the kids or even the adults, we are inviting them to the altar where they become public confessors of the faith. And now we say, may God grant you the Holy Spirit so that you'll confess with joy. Uh, when someone's ordained, we lay hands on them and say, may the Holy Spirit come and bless you with all that you need to be a preacher and a teacher of God's word. Or when we have husbands and wives get married, we lay hands on them and bless them and pray that the Holy Spirit would fill them for their vocations of husband and wife. So that second gift of the Holy Spirit is um, especially for the office of preaching. Uh, you see this in the book of Acts. Every time someone becomes a Christian, they're baptized with water. But then the apostles will come and lay hands on people, and that results twice in speaking in tongues. Twice there's tongues without the apostles' hands, but that's because the apostles probably weren't going to lay hands. That's Pentecost and also uh, down at uh, Cornelius's house in Acts chapter 10, which is a bit of a unique circumstance there. So I think that's what's going on, Mike. I hope that uh, I hope that's helpful. Take a look at the text and see if you think it holds up. And let me know what you think. And God be praised for, uh, for your journey. Thanks for your email as well. God's peace be with you. Thanks for being part of the fun. I hope you have a church where you can go to Monday, Thursday service tonight. If you don't, if you go to wolfmuller.co, there's a button there. Find a church. We've got a team of people who can help you find a good church close by if there is one, Lord willing. Uh, that's important. You know, Jesus didn't say, uh, never do this in remembrance of me. He said, do this in remembrance of me. So if we're not at the Lord's table, we want to be working in that direction with some, with some zeal. If I can be helpful, let me know. Uh, otherwise, I hope you have a, a beautiful day rejoicing in the Lord and his kindness. Uh, more theological resources are always hanging around the website, wolfmuller.co. You can find it there. Uh, otherwise, God's peace be with you. Talk to you soon.